Good morning and welcome to Water and Stone and Happy New Year. My name is Dieter Randolph and uh, I am the lead pastor here at Water and Stone and we are beginning a whole new series with the new year. This series is going to go for a pretty long time because we are going to go through the whole Bible. Not every word, but I have picked some really significant stories throughout the Bible. And we're going to work through these stories together. And along the way, you're going to learn how to read the Bible, how to really read it, how to interact with it, how to figure out what it means for you, for your life, how to live this stuff, how to talk about it, think about it, the whole thing. Because I got to tell you, anything that you're working on, chewing on, working through, trying to figure out, praying about, it's in there somewhere. And so being able to master the ability to read this primary textbook is going to change everything for you. So we're going to work through stories that go all the way through the whole thing. And the bonus part of this is my thought is that by the time we get all the way through all of the Bible stories that I've picked, by the time we get through the Bible, we will be in a place where it is responsible to meet in person again. We got a while, a while to think about all of that and, and that kind of a thing, but I'm looking forward to going through this journey with you. With that in mind, and thank you for being here, let's begin with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does in the name and nature of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to start at the beginning. But before we get into it, I want to address just a couple of uh, housekeeping kind of issues. This series is going to feel a little bit more like a class. If you've been watching the uh, lessons that I've been doing for a little while, you know that a while back we tried a classroom format and so many people responded to it so positively that there was a desire to get back to a classroom kind of format. And the Bible is our primary textbook. So just like a class, we're going to have a little bit of housekeeping. One of the questions people ask is, are there any other books that I should get? Should I get a Bible dictionary or concordance? Should I get those kinds of things? The answer is yes and no. Because at the end of the day, all of those things are, of course, going to be helpful to you. And if you go to uh, the waterandstonechurch.com website, there's a link that says uh, Toolbox. And in the Toolbox page, there are all kinds of references for books about how to read the Bible. And they're all very, very helpful. But I want to let you know, so that's the yes part, here's the no part. The goal of this is you're going to be able to just read the Bible, just you and the Bible. You don't need anything else right now. So I don't think you need to buy anything right now. If your curiosity takes you in a certain direction, yeah, follow that. But you don't need to do it for the purposes of what we're going to be talking about. The second question that comes up, and you may know my answer to this if you know me. People say, well, what Bible translation should I use? What's the right one? And the answer is there's no right one. I prefer the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, but that's just a matter of my preference. I like the translation. I like the scholarship in it. I think it's really good and as accurate as, as we need to be, that kind of a thing. But 
really the thing that's going to work for you best is use the Bible translation that you're used to. It might be that you grew up with a certain translation, King James or uh, NRSV or whatever it is. Stick with what's comfortable for you because we're not, in the purposes of this, going to be doing a scholarly explication of, well, this translator says this and this translator says that. That's great and that's important, but that's not what we're doing here. This isn't college, this is life. This is closer to school hard knocks kind of an approach to this. We're going to be thinking and talking about the way that it means more than what the literal words say. And so whatever translation you're comfortable with, that's a great place to start. And with that in mind, let's start. So the first story that I want to talk about, we're going to be talking about two different stories today. They're both in uh, Genesis, makes sense, right? We're going to be talking about the two different stories of creation. Did you know that there's two creation stories there in the Bible? Think about it with me. There's that first story where there's the days of creation, and God made this and said that it was good, and on the next day God did this and said that it was good. That part, you know that part. But then right after that, that's, that's the first chapter of Genesis, and then right after that in chapters 2 and 3 of Genesis, there's another creation story, and this is the one about Adam and Eve in the garden and that whole thing, right? So there's two different creation stories, and we're going to talk about both of them today. One of the questions that you might have as we get started is, well, how come to? right? Were somebody not paying attention? Is this bad editing? <laughs> but you know as well as I do, you've heard me say this before, that there are no wasted words in Scripture. Everything that is in there has survived an argument, a debate, a, a commentary. Everything that's in the Bible that you have was put there deliberately. Someone loved that. And so it's not accidental that there's two creation stories. Instead, we're going to look at it like this. These are stories of an outer creation and an inner creation. That first part, the days of creation, is what happens on the inside. And then the part about Adam and Eve in the garden is how that outpictures in your life. And when you think about it, there's always two creation stories in your own life. There's this thing that happens on the inside of you when you make a decision, when you set your intention, when you align with something bigger than yourself. And then there are the things that happen in your life when you start to act and think differently. You experience it, right? You get source, you get manifestation. You get spirit, you get outer. You know, that kind of a thing. And so it's completely appropriate that there are two creation stories. It's really interesting to look at the change in perspective when you read that first chapter of Genesis versus chapters 2 and 3. If you were, you know, making a movie about the creation, it's interesting to watch the shift in perspective. There's some interesting things that go on uh, all the way around. But what I want to let you know right now is... If you're watching this, chances are really good, maybe even 100%, that you are working on some kind of a creation in your own life right now. Not just because it's New Year's. I mean, that's part of it, too. People are doing their resolutions, thinking about what they'd like to see in their lives and what they'd like to see less of in their lives and all of that. It's appropriate in a way. But more than that, you're working on creation of a new way to deal with your body. You're trying to heal something. You're working on a creation of some new relationship, some new financial situation. You're working on creation. And when you think about it, there's a big old stack of self-help books and pop spirituality books about how to manifest things and do that kind of stuff. It's great if you read those things. But at the end of the day, if you want something to be born in your life, 
Why not create like God does? The recipe for whatever it is you're trying to create is right here in the very beginning of our Bible. And so it pays to think about how this works, to, to uh, work through it together. And so that's what we're going to do. Let's talk about that first chapter of Genesis. Now, it's easy to assume that creation begins with day one. I mean, in a way that's appropriate, right? With that let there be light day and all that. But when you think about it, the creation doesn't actually begin there. The creation story begins first. This is an important point that a lot of people miss. The creation story begins first with a recognition that there is room. You can't make anything participate in the creation of anything. You can't see anything new until you make room for it. This is appropriate right now as you, we make room by doing like Boxing Day kind of things, get recovering from Christmas, by doing those things that we make room for something. In the beginning, God says, you know what? I'm paraphrasing. God says, you know what? There's room for a whole new way. So many people miss this step and they keep all the old stuff and they just try to pile on something new. And you know as well as I do that that doesn't work. So your first creation process before that great week can start in your life is to recognize that there is room. That's the secret, not so secret, first step. Now, another comment about how this works. Remember with me that, that the Bible says on this day happened, on this day this happened, on this day. But we don't get the sun and the moon, the things that we would use to chart a 24-hour day, until later on. We don't have them at the beginning, right? So how is this a day? It's important to understand with me that, that this doesn't mean that it takes 24 hours to do this. Let's not be so uh, rigid in it. Instead, when you see a word like day, read it instead as something like as long as it takes. And this is really helpful because I want you to know that as you work through your steps in your life, it might take you a really long time to go through this one part of your process and it might take you no time at all to go through another part. Give yourself as long as it takes. So here we are at the beginning of this and we read that the breath of God moved out across the water. And I love that idea. Breath is the same thing as spirit. You know, Jesus later on talks about the idea that the Holy Spirit is like the, the air. We can feel it, but we can't see it. Rob Bell talks about the idea that, that you can't see a hurricane because it's just air, but you can see the track that it took. In the same way, if you're looking for the presence of God, that breath of God in your life, that breath that in a minute is going to be breathed into the nostrils of Adam and all of that, that's that spirit. If you're looking for that Spirit of God in your life, it might be hard to know where to look, but when you think about it, the best place to look is the, the track that it took. Your evidence of God happening. The things that have happened to you. Well, wow, I really dodged a bullet there. Wow, it was so great that that thing worked out there. Those are the things you can use to see where God was in your life and to begin to be okay with the idea that wherever you are, God is too. So the other thing I want you to know is that remember with me that every single day, every as long as it takes moment, ends with a mini Sabbath. Every single day ends with God going, and it was good. God saw that it was good. 
This is an important point. As you go through every step of your process, you can't go on to the next step until you can call it good. And that's the part that might take a minute sometimes. Okay, so let's jump in to the days. So the first day is the let there be light day. Now, remember with me that we don't have light bulbs yet. We don't have a sun and a moon yet. We don't have anything else. When we say let there be light, the idea is let there be the concept of light. If you were a, a student of Plato, you would talk about the platonic form of light. Let there be the idea of light in your own life. Let it be okay with me that there's a way. Let there be light means let there be an answer. And sometimes we come to that moment through inspiration. And sometimes we come to that moment through desperation where we say, let there be light. So we make this empty place. That's day zero. And then we acknowledge the idea that that illumination can happen. The form of light can happen and call it good. And the next day, there's this firmament, the, the firm place. I want you to think about that as the creation of faith. And if you were watching the last series we did, it's okay if faith seemed like too big of a word for you. Hope is fine. So there's room. I have this idea that it can be better, and I know that it's going to work out. Don't know how but I'm gonna call it good. That's where we are in the process. That's where you need to be in your process if it's gonna work for you. And then out of this firmament, there's this dry land that raises up out of the water. And as a, as a Bible interpreter, because you're a Bible interpreter now, I don't know if you know that, your badge is coming in the mail. Um, as a Bible interpreter, I want you to remember with me that anytime you see water, happening in scripture. And in fact, in any piece of literature, this is a good way to look at it. When you see water, it's a symbol of unexpressed potential. I mean, think about it. Anything could be under the surface of that water. Things are swimming around and I get my life from it and I don't know how that works exactly. It's unexpressed potential. And so out of this unexpressed potential, this dry land is formed. Think of that as the power of imagination. In other words, I make room, I let there be light, I know it's going to work out. And if you can get to that place, the next thing that happens is this dry land. In other words, you will imagine a solution. God will give you an idea. It's important that you don't get the idea at the beginning. You can't get it until you get out of the way, right? And so the next step, now after all of this other stuff, now, finally, we have the lesser and greater lights, the sun and the moon. We have a light bulb. <laughs> Let there be light, and now we get the light bulb. And this is important because as we get to this part of the process, we are finally given a channel for that ideal to be manifest in our lives. The ideal, light itself, happens first. You know that your light bulb isn't light itself, right? It's just a channel of light. You've been over this? sun, same thing. The sun isn't light. It's a way that light can happen, right? So in the same way, as you get to this part of your process, you're going to get to this place where you realize, oh, wait, I did all these other things. I, I, I have an idea, and now I have a channel through which that idea can be manifest in my life. That sun and the moon represent the, the way that that can happen. 
And then God said it was good, and you got to do the same thing. And the next thing that happens is we get birds and fish. Now remember, water is unexpressed potential. And so those fish that are swimming around right under the surface, they represent the potential ideas, the ideas that we're not sure how it's going to work out yet. And the birds that fly to the air, they represent those aspirational ideas. The ways that, oh, I know how I can do this. What if this? Those things. You can't get those at the beginning. If you're looking for inspiration, you can't get there until you get through all the other days. If you're suffering from writer's block, or let's face it, any kind of block, the money ain't happening for you, the healing ain't happening for you, you're waiting for this inspiration, well, now you know how to get there. You can't do it backwards. You can't just skip ahead. You can't do all the days at once. This is how you get to that place. And then finally, on the sixth day, we get animals on the land, and we get the idea, the essence of you and me. And this is that part where God has said that you and me, the essence of every single person who has ever been born, will ever be born, who is, where God says, image and likeness. You are made in my image and after my likeness, says God. Now really do the math on that with me because this is really important. You are made in the image and after the likeness of God. And yeah, I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. You want to feel that way better? Go through the days of creation. It's no wonder you, you're having a hard time feeling that if you're just trying to jump to day six. Take a breath, take a minute, back up. It pays off, trust me. But think about it with me, this image and likeness idea. If you are made in the image and after the likeness of God, look, let's be grown-ups here for a minute. It means that you have no right to clobber yourself anymore. Who are you trying to kid? I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be tough on you, but that's the way it goes. You feel bad about yourself, you're allowed to, it's okay. But remember that that's just not the truth. You're also allowed to believe there's a boogeyman under your bed, but you'll grow out of it sooner or later as soon as you face it. And I'm telling you that you thinking you're no good, given that you're made in the image and after the likeness of God, you thinking you're no good is no different than believing that there's a boogeyman under the bed. That belief in that boogeyman can transform your life. It can keep you up at night. It can make you dread bedtime. But at the end of the day, it's just not the truth. Same thing here. If you're made in the image and after the likeness of God, do the math with me. Everything that we have experienced in our lives has been made through the power of spirit, has been made because God is working through all of this, right? God makes everything. Well, if everything God makes is good and God makes everything that is, what that means is if you're experiencing something negative in your life, it has no lasting reality. Yeah, maybe you're going through a hard time. I get it. We are all here to grow and that can happen. But that thing can't define you because it's not real. Not really. It's not permanent. Just a moment. And if you can really remember your image and likenessness, <laughs> you start to really understand who you are. You can let some things go. No, you can't do that on day one. It's okay if it takes a minute, but you're going to get to the place where you can let some things go. And that brings us to our seventh day, the Sabbath. This is the day where 
the Lord saw all that he had made and declared that it was good, and he rested. Now, you know as well as I do that God is not a big guy somewhere in the sky who gets tuckered out. But rather remember that this is what we must go through. And you can work on your days of creation, and you should. And you can pray through it, you should. And think through it, you should. And work on it. And sometimes you got to get to day three and go, oh, wait a minute, you know what? i got to jump back to day one again because I'm not able to say that this is good yet. It's okay if you got to back up. You just can't jump ahead. But no matter how long it takes you, and a day is as long as it takes, none of it counts until you can get to that place where you can let it go. That's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is the moment where we let God be God, where we give it over. The Sabbath is that moment where we rest in it. And in fact, the Sabbath is the moment when we rejoice in it. It's party time. <laughs> we did the thing. It happened. And we didn't even do it. God did it through us in this six-day process of getting out of the way and this seventh day of watching it go. You know, I'm a dad. If you know me at all, you know that that's the best thing about me. But every parent goes through that time where you realize, you know what, I can't run the lives of my kids anymore. I mean, they needed me at one point to determine food and shelter issues and that kind of thing and etiquette, let's say, that sort of thing. But past a certain point, I got to let them do their thing. Otherwise, my help begins to harm, right? It's like that. Take your car into the shop. They can't fix it until you get out of the driver's seat. It's weird otherwise. It's like that. Everything is like that. And it might be that you're really good at a lot of these things. It might be that you've read all the self-help books and you are a master at this and you can drop into a really blissful state of meditation and you know all the stuff and you, you got it. You got all the lingo down. You got the outfit, the whole thing. But as long as you believe it's you who's doing the work, you're not experiencing your Sabbath, it ain't going to happen for you. Remember with me, as we skip way ahead into the New Testament over and over again, Jesus says, I'm not doing this, God's doing this. Your faith is doing this, not I but the Father, one way or another. Jesus is very careful to say, I am not doing this. God creates. You are not a co-creator. God is the creator. And to the degree that you can let that happen, to the degree that you can rejoice in that, amazing things happen to the degree that you can get your ego out of the way. And that brings me to the second creation story. This is the story of Eden and the quote-unquote fall in uh, Genesis chapters 2 and 3. You know the one, Adam and Eve, the fig leaf, the snake, the fruit, the whole thing. The first produce stand. And maybe you know this story Maybe you have heard, well, I don't know what you've heard. Sometimes people use this story to prove that, that people are no good or something like that. Well, think about the fact that we just got done with image and likeness. Somebody wasn't paying attention. The idea that God makes everything somehow gets lost in between a chapter here. That's, that's not it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just work through it together. Okay. So, you know the basic story, so I don't have to go through every single word of it. But at the beginning, there's all of these gardens that need to be tended. There's work to be done. 
And so God creates Adam. Adam's name, by the way, this is another Bible scholar's tip, and you're a Bible scholar now. Uh, if you're really puzzled as to what something means, go back to the meaning of the name. Look it up. Go to even Wikipedia can help you with that kind of a thing sometimes. What does the actual name mean? Adam's name basically means a guy. So this is the very first a guy walks into a bar joke in a way. <laughs> Adam's name just means some dude. But more than that, Adam is formed out of clay, and the Bible is very careful to say he's formed out of clay. If you read the translations, it basically says he's formed out of clay from all over the place. And it says that so nobody can go, well, you know, Adam is made out of good Michigan soil or whatever. It's not that he's from any one place. Adam is made out of the common clay, the clay we have in common. And in the very same way, Adam and Eve are there to represent the whole of human experience, the masculine and feminine qualities of each one of us. Let's not read it like this one man and this one woman who are in this one type of relationship. That's so narrow. When it seems like the, the Bible is going out of its way to say this represents commonality, just a guy and just a girl. Those qualities of you, you have Adam parts of you, you have Eve parts of you, no matter what gender you were biologically, no matter what your pronouns are now. That's not, this is not about a boy-girl thing. This is going out of its way to represent everybody. So in a way, that whole uh, beginning part of the second chapter of Genesis is a long way of saying, this means you. Um, that's where we start. We're covering all the bases. And so, if this means you, if this is really a story about you, and take it from me, every story in the Bible is, if this is a story about you, where do our characters begin? Right? You've got this place, this Eden, which is this perfect place where there is just oneness with God. There is no separation. At the beginning of the story, Adam and Eve don't even have any clothes on. There's no sense of shame. There's no sense of a barrier of any kind. This is interesting. Eden represents this place of perfect oneness. You think Adam and Eve had trouble with their image and likeness concept? No. And this is where you start to spend five seconds with the baby. And you know they start out without any of those hang-ups. Those things are learned behavior. And as a sidebar, I want to remind you that they can be unlearned. That might be part of your homework, you know. But so anyway, they are there in this perfect place. That's where they start. That's where you start. And they have a very simple job. Take care of it, guys. <laughs> Tend the gardens. And there's this great little moment. Now, look, I I'm not going to clobber you with this because this is not what I'm here to do. But some people have asked me why uh, my family and I are vegetarians. And in fact, you know, my background is unity. Some people have asked, well, why were the founders of unity vegetarians? Why was that such a big deal? Read about the fact that in Genesis, God says, don't eat the animals, eat the plants. Okay? I'm not going to go into a great big detail about it. But if you want to get back to Eden, maybe get to the place where you getting through your day doesn't require something else to die. Okay? Okay. Enough of that. I'm not going to beat you up about it. But it's interesting that, that the job that is given and the job description, this is like orientation day, take care of the garden, 
make sure everything's okay. You're in charge, but being in charge doesn't mean you're supposed to clobber everything and dominate everything. Being in charge means you're supposed to care for everything. It's like being in charge of a child or a puppy. You're not supposed to eat it. You're supposed to take care of it. But as part of that orientation training, God says, whatever you name a thing, that's what it will be for you. Whatever you name a thing, that's what it will be for you. Now, depending on your Bible translation, the wording it might be a little bit different here and there, but that's the general idea. Whatever you name a thing, that's what it will be for you. And that last part, that for you part, is the part that gets glossed over so often. I think people think that, you know, I've read half of The Secret or whatever, and I think I can name a thing and I will transform its very nature and it will become this other thing because of my magical doody-doo-doo power, and that ain't the deal. You cannot change someone else's nature. You cannot change the nature of anything. That's not how this works. You're just a caretaker. You're not in charge. And I got to tell you that because I think it's really easy to misunderstand uh, progressive Christianity, pop religion, whatever you want to call it, and think that you're the boss. But that's not how this works at all. That's not Adam and Eve's job description. You cannot change the nature of anything, but guys, that's good news, because remember, we just read that the nature of everything is good. This is important. Stop trying to change things and start trying to love them. It might be that some things need to be loved from afar and some things need to be loved from up close. That's for you to decide, because whatever you name a thing, that's what it will be for you. You can name someone as your enemy, and yes, you will experience them in that way in your life. Hmm, now you realize the kind of power you have, not over them, over you. Thou shalt name a thing, and that's what it will be for you. And that's really the, the thing about the quote-unquote fall. I don't see it as a fall but that's what it's often called, so I'll use the word. I'm not great with it because I don't think there's a fall there. I think this is a story not about uh, God or the serpent tricking anybody. I think everything's very clear. There's no, there's no gotcha here. This isn't a story about a great mess up that can never be recovered because, you know, read your Bible, it gets recovered. This is a story about how powerful you are how free you are, how you have the ability to see a thing and experience the negativity of that if you want. You can believe anything you want. You can believe in something rational or in something cuckoo bananas. You know, that's your choice and you're going to experience that life. Doesn't change what really is. You can believe that there's no such thing as gravity and you will experience the emergency room. Doesn't change gravity, it changes your experience. And that's how this works. And that's good because one more time, the nature of everything is good and very good. Your job is to care for it, to love it, to experience it. This is a story about freedom and your power. This is a story about listening to your heart or listening to your ego. That's what's going on here. Now, in this garden, God says, eat all the fruit and veggies you like. It's good for you. <laughs> and he says, but there's this one tree, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, don't eat that because if you do, here's the line, you will surely die. Now that seems funny. But remember, it's not a trick. God says, don't do this. 
You are put in this place where you have perfect authority over your experience, where there is no distance between you and God, where you know who you are as the image and as the likeness of God, but that means that you are also completely free. And that means free to do something the dumb way. That's what it comes down to. There cannot not be that tree in the garden because as a powerful child of God, you always have the power to do it the goofy way. That's just how it is. You can't uproot that tree. It grows there. Think about your own life. You've been in situations where you go, oh man, I had it all going for me. Why did I do that goofy, selfish, egotistical thing and just blow it? Well, now you know what that fruit tastes like. That's what it comes down to. Uh, the serpent comes. The serpent is a great symbol of ego. The ego says, you know, I don't think that you're really going to die if you eat that. And I think people miss that. That's the problem. Everything else is like a footnote, a repercussion. The problem is, is that the ego says that God doesn't mean what he says. God says, if you eat this, you're going to die. Because duality, the idea of knowledge of good and evil, in other words, I'm in this place where there's just good, but I'm going to internalize, eat, the idea that some things are good and some things are bad. Well, there's nothing bad in this place unless you name a thing and that's what it will be for you. Hmm. The story is not all that cryptic, guys. It's pretty straightforward. So there's this idea that if I take in this duality, if I take in the idea that, you know what, maybe not everything is good and very good. Maybe not everything is made in the image and after the likeness of God. Maybe some people are bad people inherently. Maybe the people who disagree with me aren't just people who disagree with me. Maybe they're demonic somehow other, even though you know darn well that God made everybody. You can fool yourself if you want. This happens, doesn't it? But if you eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. In other words, you can't have this experience of things being easy, of life being easy, of things working out, if you set up roadblocks for yourself. You can't have it both ways. That's the story. And this is not God saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to get you. Stop reading it that way. It's just not in there. Instead, this is God saying, if you choose to do this, you can't be in this place where there's oneness because now you're operating with the idea of two-ness, duality. You can't have both ways. That's what this is a story about. But so the ego says, ah, God doesn't mean what he says. And if you have that idea, that's the duality that causes all the other problems. If you want to get back to this Edenic state of consciousness, get to the place where you realize that God means what he says. But so we know what happens, right? Adam and Eve, they go to the Purdue stand of duality and they internalize this idea of space, of separation, of duality. And the moment they do, they realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't have any pants on. <laughs> and they start deciding to cover themselves. Before, there was no shame because no distance. But now they have internalized this idea of duality and they feel that they must cover themselves. They experience the feelings of duality, things like fear and shame. When God shows up in the story in a minute, they hide, which is really funny to me. Where do you hide from God? God, eternal hide-and-seek champion. But they try to hide from God. And that seems so goofy, except when you realize that, I don't know about you, but I've tried to hide from God before. 
I've tried to hide from the repercussions of my goofy actions. I've also tried to hide from things like real love and real responsibility and taking the chance and being powerful and loving myself. Because maybe you don't always want to be a caretaker and name a thing and that's what it will be for you and all that because that seems like a lot, even though it's what you were designed for. I get it. So Adam and Eve try to hide from God, but God goes, uh, Ali, Ali, oxen free, I, I see you, the whole thing. And you can't live here anymore. And in fact, you have to go into a place and into a way of experiencing life where things are hard. You're going to live by the sweat of your brow, man. This is going to hurt. And you guys are going to fight sometimes. And all of that. Let's get to the place. Given everything we've seen so far, we can't read this like God is going, well, I'm mad at you, and so now I'm going to punish you, and these are the things I'm going to do to you. Because if you really read the book, really read that chapter, God is not saying it like that. Instead, he's basically saying, well, you just ate. Now you can't go swimming for a while. It's like that. Well, you've internalized this idea of duality. I guess you can't live in this place of unity. You can't have it both ways. This is not a statement of punishment. This is a statement of repercussion. And this isn't God tricking anybody. But again, this is that, well, you decided to act like there wasn't gravity. Now you broke your leg. You're going to have to be in a cast, and you can't go to the track meet. Not mad at you. <laughs> I wish you hadn't have done it that way, but here we are. Remember with me that, that the metaphor of God is as a loving parent. And if your kid falls down and breaks their leg, it's kind of a bad parent that's mad at him for doing it. But you still can't let him skateboard until the cast is off. That's what we're talking about. That's what this is a story about. This is not a story about anybody being tricked. This is a story about logical eventualities and the duality choice. That's the problem. The idea that God doesn't mean what he says. The idea that I'm allowed to be separate from God. That's the problem. But the good news is, as with every problem, the solution is baked in. You want to get back to that Eden place? You want to remember who you are? You want to get back to where you once belong? It's right there. Go back to day zero. Create like God does. Remember your naming power and tend your gardens. You want to get back? Take care. Because just like Adam and Eve, you are made in the image and after the likeness. Just like Adam and Eve, you are powerful. Just like Adam and Eve, you are where God is. And just like Adam and Eve, you are free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. So I can't wait to hear your questions and comments because once again, this is a classroom kind of a situation. If you're watching this live, there will be questions going, I'm sure. But write to me, find me through waterandstonechurch.com. It's easy to send me an email there or to reach me through social media, all that kind of stuff. There's lots of ways to do it and I want you to do it. Thank you as always for supporting this ministry by hitting that share button, by sharing the video, by liking and subscribing, and also by supporting us financially with your gifts of love and substance. And you can do that by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's hold those gifts in our mind and hearts and bless the offering together. 
God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is and so it does. Amen. And I want to remind you that wherever you are, you are not alone. We are in this life, in this experience, in this unfolding together. And so as one family, let's share our dedication prayer. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. Amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. I'll see you next week. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.